Hey, open your Bibles, if you will, to Zechariah chapter 7. If you need a Bible, we have some for you. And so if you need one, like, man, I didn't bring mine with me, but I'd, I'd love to follow along today because our text won't be on the screen today. Raise your hand right now. We'll bring one to you. Raise your, don't be ashamed. Raise your hand. Uh, we'll put one in your hand right now. Raise it high. Wave it in the air. Wave it like you just don't care. Doesn't mean you're charismatic. Or maybe you are. All right, have I got one? Anybody else need one? Raise your hand up really tall. So if you're looking for Zechariah, go to the New Testament to Matthew and back up a couple of streets and you'll find it. All right, we're in Zechariah chapter 7. And so, so last week we covered the first six chapters of Zechariah and it's very eight bizarre visions. Uh, the, the most bizarre of them, which do you think was the most bizarre of them? The lady in the basket? Yeah. Yeah. Just the winged creatures, you know, this one that they came out in the funky wings and had carried the lady and the basket and, and she, you know, it had an iron top on top and they opened it up for a little while and the lady came out and she was all scary. And so they like put the iron lid back on her and all that kind of stuff. It was some bizarre things. And if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and read some of those visions and maybe even listen to last week's sermon. So you kind of get what's going on in Zechariah and and, uh, and where, where we got to today, uh, uh, but that was, that was last week, and so we're going to kind of pivot and go to chapters 7 and 8 today. And so in this, four times the Lord comes to Zechariah with a, um, a, a word and delivers a message to him uh, each time. So we'll pick up right at the beginning of Zechariah chapter 7. We'll read the first seven verses uh, together. Let's read them. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent, uh, Sh- uh, hang on, Sherezer and Regamelech and their men. T- are you impressed? Come on. Sometimes I just skip over those. This guy and that guy. Um, to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of the hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priest, when you have fast, when you fasted and, and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh month, for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, did you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the low land were inhabited? Was that not that time? So we'll stop right there and kind of look at this first piece of this. So this date, uh, if you're kind of figuring out dates, supposedly, uh, according to scholars as they look at this and according to the dates that he listed here, uh, this is around December 4th, 518 BC. Fortunately, we get some dates here where uh, you, don't, uh, you don't always get them in some of our uh, uh, texts. But we do know uh, that, that he gives us a date here in Zechariah. 
And it seems as though while the people were in exile, if you remember, the people were in exile and now they're being brought back into Jerusalem. And and so they're rebuilding the temple and things like that are going on. That's what's happening in Zechariah, Malachi. They're prophesying during this time uh, to the people. And so they've been brought back uh, uh, from from being in exile and, and they chose some particular days while they were in exile to fast. And so in those days they fasted and now that they're coming back to Jerusalem, they're like, do we still need to do this? I mean, we were out for a while, but I mean, do we still need to keep on doing this fasting thing for these particular days? So they sent this delegation up and they came to Jerusalem to ask the question, should we continue to weep and fast? And so they were, um, uh, so they were, they were originally um, uh, weeping and fasting over the original destruction of the temple. That was the reason that they chose to do it in the first place is the temple had been destroyed and, and they went in exile and they were like, man, let's, let's choose these times to fast over the fact that our temple has been destroyed. You can find that in 2 Kings 25 when that happened. Uh, and, and so now that the temple again was being rebuilt, they're like, do we need to keep doing this? And so Zechariah mentions um, a fast um, in verse seven, uh, and, and there was another one that they had done from the fifth month, and this was kind of their, remember the Alamo moment, uh, this second fast, because it was, uh, uh, they had risen up against the Babylonians and the governor of Ju- uh, Judah during the time, and they were put down, and, and, and nobody, very few people survived that, and so that was part of their second fast that they were doing. They're like, do we need to keep doing this? Uh, so if you remember, the law of Moses only said you need to fast one time. There's only one time that, that the law said that, that, that prescribed a, a fast. Um, you remember when that day was? I didn't expect an answer there, uh, but I thought I'd throw it out there anyway. So it's the Day of Atonement. So it's the Day of Atonement. They call it Yom Kippur now. Uh, it was instituted in Leviticus. I know that's probably one of your favorite go-to books in the Bible. Um, uh, Leviticus, just kidding. You can laugh. It's okay. <laughs> It's, it's, I know it's probably not your favorite. And, and so on the Day of Atonement, the high priest uh, would go in. And, and so just to kind of give you the picture of the Day of, of Atonement, it is what it was. The one day of the year that the high priest would go in and try to atone for the sins of his people. And so what would happen on that day is the high priest would... Um, would, would bring his own offering before the Lord and he would offer his offering to the Lord and, uh, to, to, for his own sins. And then he would take two goats at the time and he would take one of those goats into the Holy of Holies and he would uh, kill that goat and sprinkle that, uh, the blood of that uh, goat onto the, the, the mercy seat and on, into the Holy of Holies and confess the sins of, of the people there in the Holy of Holies to the Lord. And then he would come out and they would, they would actually, uh, again, uh, uh, confess the sins of the people over the other goat, and they would send that goat out way, uh, just to go away somewhere. Do you know what that goat was called? Yeah, there you go. Y'all are listening now. Yeah, the scapegoat. So hey, they would send him out and away from the camp. And so that was, that was a picture of their sins being pushed away and their sins being atoned for and their sins being uh, wiped away so that they were not responsible for them, for them again. Now, uh, and so that's what they were, that was the only feast that God had actually, or the only uh, a fasting that God had actually prescribed for them during the time. And so now the, the, the temple was about halfway completed during this time in Zechariah that we're actually reading. And so it was probably halfway rebuilt and, and the people wanted to know, 
Do we just continue with these days of fasting? Do we continue with these days of weeping? Do we, do we have to keep doing this? And they're like, hey, high priest, I mean, how much longer? We good, good, or what? And so um, th- th- we know that these additional feasts were not commanded by God, but instituted by man, and they had practiced them for so long, for at least 70 years while they were in exile, it had kind of become part of their ritual. Just part of their ongoing, regular part of what they did. It had just become part of the ritual, part of their culture, part of their annual calendar that they had. And so Zechariah responds to them. He's like, you want to know this? I'll tell you what you should do. Look with me in uh, verses uh, 4 through 6. We just read them, but he said, The word of the Lord of hosts came to me and said, Say to all the people of the land, the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and the seventh month for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you, eat, when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? He was like, What are you doing? When you're doing it now, why are you doing what you're doing? Did you really fast for me, God said? Did you eat and drink for yourselves? Which one was it? Why were you doing this stuff in the first place? Why were you taking your time to do this thing that I've commanded you to do once a year and added it to something else? Why were you doing it? What was your motivation? What was driving you to do this thing year after year after year? Was it for some sorrowful embrace of of, of really losing the temple? Was it the loss of your freedom to actually come and worship me in a place? Or did it become something that it was not intended to be? See, I don't believe that the Lord was really angry with them during this time. Uh, I I don't think he was mad that they were actually having some additional feast. Or actually, I keep saying feast. That's coming in the next chapter. Uh, uh, That they were having this time of fasting. Because it did seem that they were doing it for a good reason, but what God was pointing out to them was that it had become just rote and ritualistic, and they, were, they really didn't want to seem to do it anymore, and so they were just kind of going through the motions, something that they had just always done. They could, say, you could kind of say the same thing for their lives in general. When they would eat, They would drink. They were just kind of going through the motions. And I would say that's probably some of you. If you're honest with yourself, if you just examine yourself, and that's what I want you to do, we don't preach these things just just to meet here and do something, but for some of you, that's what it's become. This rote, ritualistic, this is what I do on Sundays at 10 o'clock, and I'm going to go through the motions. I'm going to do it to please my spouse or my parents or my whatever. I, I'm just kind of going through the motions. And I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do because this is what we good Southern people do at 10 o'clock on Sundays. If nobody was forcing you to do this, would you be here today? If nobody was making you be here at 10 o'clock on Sunday... Would you be somewhere else? Have you compartmentalized your following Jesus so much that this hour and a half on Sunday becomes all that it actually is? Like this is the time. And we're glad you're here, but I really want to say, is this the only time that it matters? 
Is this the only time that I open the scriptures up and, and, and read from them? Is this the only time that I bow my head before the King of Kings and pray? Is this the only time that I might sing some song to the Lord? Am I one of those people that learn how to act some way in church but act a different way when, the rest of the week? You've heard my, if you've heard my testimony, that's the way I lived for 30 years. I knew how to act like a good old Southern church boy. I'd done it my entire life. I knew what it was like. I knew how to act in church. I knew the songs from church. I knew the way, who, the language that I'm supposed to use in church and the language that I could use somewhere else. And so for me, coming to church for 30 years of my life was just that, something ritualistic, something that I go, do I have to keep doing this? Do I have to keep doing this? Does it make a difference to me or anybody else around that I'm actually coming to church? Some of you are probably in that same boat, I would say. See, Paul writes in the New Testament, he says to the church at Corinth, he says, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, say whatever you do, whatever you do, do all, say all, all to the glory of God. So he's speaking to Christians, he's speaking to the church at Corinth, and he said, whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If you're a Christian, that's what we're called to be. If you're not a Christian, man, this going through the motions is misery for you. I would dare say it's just a chore to have to get up and do it all again. And, and I've got to make my parents happy and I've got to make whoever happy. And I'm just going through the motions because it's just what I do. Don't get me wrong. We're glad you're here, but we're glad you're here not because you're just checking the box off. We're glad you're here because we believe that by the preaching of the gospel, by the preaching of the word of God, that's what the Holy Spirit uses to awaken your heart to the gospel. And that's why we preach the gospel every week because we keep piling, we want to believe that we're keep piling kindling around you and we pray that the Holy Spirit will light that fire one day. That's what we believe and that's how we keep, that's how we keep praying and that's why we keep preaching the way we do. It's why we sing the songs we sing. It's why we do everything we do. It's for people like you, whoever you are, that are disgruntled by the fact that you're actually here. We're, we're waiting and praying urgently that the Holy Spirit will light your fire one day. We're believing for that, for you. Maybe it's today. We'll see what the Lord has to do. But here's another point I believe that the Lord was reminding them of. Instead of remembering just some tragedy of the past, which, which they were by these feasts that they were doing, see, God actually desires us to focus uh, on, on our active obedience today, Christians. Rather than looking in the past to go, hey, uh, man, let's, we're lamenting those past things. And there's a time for lamenting. There's a time for weeping. There's a time for sorrow. But there's also a time for us to look forward and, let's see, and, and enjoy what the Lord is doing and be present in the time of what the Lord is doing and actively walk with him. One commentator said this, there's no need to observe the sad anniversaries of our sins and their accompanying punishment. If once we were assured uh, of God's free forgiveness in Jesus, when he forgives and restores, the need for dwelling on the bitter past is over. Too many of us are always dwelling beside the graves of the dead past. 
I know some of you do it. I've talked to some of you before, and you just can't get past that thing. That thing that happened to you in the past, that thing that you did in the past, that, uh, that besetting sin that just keeps on reminding you, even if you've moved past it, you can't get, you've still got an anchor back there somewhere going, man, I know that, that Pastor Scott says that the, God has forgiven me and Jesus over that, but man, that was a heinous sin that I found myself in and you just can't get past it. I need to tell you today that, listen, if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, if you have repented of your sins, put your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, key word there being finished work of Christ, he has paid your sin debt. He has paid for that heinous sin that you're holding on to. He has paid that sin debt. It cost him his life and there's no need for you to hang on to that and keep wallowing in that sin from the past. The time is now to let that sin go. Thank the Lord God Almighty that he has paid that sin debt that you never have to pay for that sin debt anymore if you're a Christian. And you move forward in your life following Jesus. Amen? That's the good news. That's part of the good news of the gospel is that he doesn't hold our sins against us anymore. He laid all that on Jesus and gave you all of Jesus' righteousness. And that's where we're called to live. And so rather than dwelling on our past, God wants people who will listen now and obey, to seek him, to listen to him and obey him in the here and now. Let's, let's look ahead in um, verses 8 through 10. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow and the fatherless and the sojourner or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. And so, so the word of the Lord came and said, Hey, this is the way I want you to live. Rather than holding on to your past, rather than living in the past, this is what it should look like for you to live. This is what it should look like if you're part of my people that you should live. What does he say? He says, uh, you, you should probably underline these things in your Bibles. He says that there should be true justice, showing mercy and kindness, or, or kindness and mercy. That means showing compassion to people. As Christians, we should be compassionate people, understanding people. When we encounter people that are wrestling with their own sin or, or, or the difficult times in their life, we, if anybody, should be very compassionate people toward them. Show compassion and mercy, everyone, uh, especially to his own brother. What that means is specifically in your family and within the family of God, we should look to one another and go, man, I've got compassion on my brother. He, he or she is struggling in this place. I, I don't want to shame them or expose them or anything like that. I want to show some compassion to them and come alongside them and walk with them through this very difficult time. He says, don't oppress the widow or the fatherless or the, so, or the, the sojourner, which means the alien and the poor, those who cannot oppose you. He says, of anybody that helps the poor or the disadvantaged or the widow or, uh, or he says, the, the father, this, those who have lost their parents. Of anybody, we as followers of Jesus, he tells those people who are, are Christians, are, are, are followers of God, they were Christians during time, but, but, but he's telling people who followed God and us people who follow Christ today that we should be compassionate people. Do not plant evil in your heart against your brother. And so I'll ask you this, what, what is easier what is easier, to fast for a few days every year 
and then at the same time continue to harbor hatred in your heart towards your brother? Toward a less fortunate family member who may be astray? Is that easier to do? Or is it easier to skip the fasting, to skip the religious ritual that you may find yourself in the middle of that you do a couple of times a year to make you feel better about yourself maybe? And to live with people in an understanding way. Which is more difficult? Which is more difficult? Fast a couple of times a year, but harbor hatred in my heart towards somebody who's wronged me or that they just, people don't understand why I feel this way toward this person. Or to maybe skip that fasting piece or whatever religious ritual you're going through and live with this person in an understanding way. Which is the more difficult place? This side or this side? Yeah, it's, it's much easier to fast a couple of times a year, right? And then and just go and live in my life the way I want to rather than to live with people in an understanding way and to have compassion and to show mercy and to show kindness to someone, maybe in our own family, maybe outside our family, whatever it is. It's much easier to do this than it is to do this. And the point that, that uh, God was making through Zechariah is I'm calling you to something that's higher, I'm calling you to a higher standard. I'm calling you to live differently. He doesn't want us to be religious and go through our religious exercises and never be changed. He wants us to have a heart change and care about one another. And after hearing this rebuke from Zechariah, how do you think the people responded? Well, let's see. Look at verses 11 and 12. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they may not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. Sometimes I feel you, Zechariah. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes I, I get that, man, it's, it's a tough go sometimes. They refuse to hear. They shrugged their shoulders. They stopped their ears up. Their hearts became hard as diamonds. And here's what, here's what the way Zechariah wrote this, and, and I think it's very poignant to, uh, for us to understand this today. Um, he, he wrote this, he, he wrote in this progression of rejection. First, it starts with a refusal to hear the word from the Lord. A refusal to hear the word from the Lord. And, and so this is the way it starts. This is the way it starts. I don't like what that preacher has to say. He kind of stepped on my toes today. I ain't going back to that church. I don't like what that preacher had to say. He was calling me out. He, somebody, he, he was speaking to me specifically today. Somebody must have told him something. I ain't going back to that church. I don't like what that preacher had. I don't like what that friend of mine had to say. And I don't have to listen to them rebuke me for my sin. So I'm just going to put some distance between me and my friend. You know what I'm saying? That's the first step. Then... Then it comes to one of these things, uh, kind of this self-justifying shrug of the sh shoulders. And so you go to a brother and you go, hey man, th this, this is just wrong the way this is happening. Th this is wrong what I'm seeing in your life. And this brother goes, oh well, is what it is. What you gonna do? 
What's it going to be? So I'm going to keep doing my thing. Then the third step gets ridiculous. They childishly stop up their ears. That's what the, that's what the text says. They stopped up their ears. I, I see it going, la, 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 la. I can't hear you. I don't hear what you, I see your lips moving, but I can't hear what you're saying. We become childish over people approaching us about our sin. Childish responding to people that care enough about us, that are willing to approach us about our own sin. And we pull some stunt like that. Man, you are sliding down that dangerous hill. Then comes the hardening of heart like stone, like a diamond. Zechariah says that their, their hearts harden so hard that it's like a diamond. Listen, people who get hard hearts, if you've got a hard heart now, maybe you've got a hard heart towards someone or about a situation or toward a people or whatever the thing is, that didn't happen overnight. You didn't just wake up one morning and go, my heart is hard toward this person because of X, Y, or Z. This progression that we just talked about here in Zechariah probably was part of it. Maybe it wasn't exactly the same thing, but there was a progression to get you to the point to go, I'm done, I'm out, and they're out. I don't want to hear anything they've got to say. I don't care anything about them anymore, and I won't listen to a word they have to say. You didn't get there overnight. But slowly and surely, we slid down that same pathway and ended up with a diamond-hard heart. Your heart gets that way over time. Rather than dealing with the issue in the very beginning, in the very beginning, whenever a brother or a sister loves you enough to come to you and say, man, I see this in you. I, I, I can sense this in your heart. I can sense this in your spirit. I can sense that this is happening to you. And rather than dealing with it right there, you started that first progression. I don't want to hear what it is that you have to say. I'm just doing my thing, okay? I don't really care what you've got to say. I'm sticking my hands in my ears. And then your heart becomes hard rather than dealing with it on the very beginning. Pay close attention to me, church. Pay close attention to me, young people. Pay close attention to me, husbands, wives, men, women. If you sense yourself moving in this direction, slowly turning a cold heart toward the truth, slowly turning a cold heart toward someone, slowly turning a cold heart toward the things of God, Toward the voice of God, you've got to listen to me. Stop it. Stop it. Wake up. Wake up. This is a ploy of your enemy. This is a ploy of your enemy to pull you further and further and further away from the, from the word of God. That excuse that you keep making to not gather with the people of God, that excuse that you keep making not to be in relationship with someone who has spoken something difficult to you is the enemy, the devil himself, uh, whispering in your ear to just step away, just pull away. They don't care about you. They said this about you. They pointed this thing out in front of somebody about you. It is the ploy of the enemy to drag you further and further away to where your heart eventually becomes hard and you don't give two rips about the thing of God things of God anymore wake up to that if that's where you are 
I urge you to turn from that. I urge you to go and listen to what it is that somebody might have to say to you. I urge you to step into the hard things with people. If they're willing to say it to you and they're willing to come alongside you and they're willing to bring some gospel truth around whatever that thing is, listen to them. Don't miss this Holy Spirit in that moment saying, let's get this thing right rather than putting more distance between you. The scripture goes on to say that because of they responded in this way, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. Now, you think it's bad whenever your parents get mad at you? And maybe it is. Or you think it's bad whenever your husband or wife gets mad at you? And maybe it is. But I'm going to tell you, nothing compares to the anger of the Lord when it's kindled against people. When it's kindled against your wicked ways. Now is the time to turn from your wicked ways. To relent from your anger. Run to the Lord, people. Run to the Lord today. Run to the Lord for his salvation. Run to the Lord for his forgiveness. Run to the Lord for his restoration. Run to the Lord to find grace and mercy and help in your time of need. That's our calling. You may say, well, why should I do this, preacher? Why should I listen to you, preacher? You don't know my situation. You haven't walked a mile in my shoes, bro. What do you know? Well, I know what the scripture says. Look with me at verse 13 and 14. As I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear. It's the Lord speaking. Let's read that again. As I called and they would not hear, that's the Lord speaking. As I called and they wouldn't hear what I had to say, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus, the land that they left was desolate so that no one went to and fro and the pleasant land was made desolate. What a terrible place to be. The land was made desolate. They were scattered and the land was made desolate. Do you know what the first prayer is that the Lord hears from you? You know what it is? It's a prayer of repentance. A prayer of repentance. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You're outside the household of faith. The Lord, his, his, the prayer he hears from you is the prayer of repentance and faith. You don't belong to him if you're outside the household of faith. You're not a child of the king if you've not been filled with the Holy Spirit. Your prayers fall, they're, they're, they're cold and dead prayers if you're not a child of the king. Your prayers are scattered and desolate. But once you respond, once you repent and believe the gospel, do you know what, what it looks like then? You remember the story of the prodigal son? Prodigal son's story, and when he came home, he was like, man, I got to go home. I got to get back to my, my, my dad. I'm sure that my dad will have a place for me. And whenever he came and the, and the dad was looking for him out from his porch. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. And what happened whenever the dad saw his son out in the distance? What did he do? 
Yeah, he picked up his tunic. He pulled up that, that skirt he was wearing, whatever they wore. I don't, mean, I don't know what they're called. Uh, and he ran towards him because the son had turned. His heart had changed and he had turned back to the father. It's a picture of what repentance come, looks like. And it's a picture of what God looks like whenever we turn to him. Him running towards us. That's a beautiful picture. That's chapter 7. Chapter 8, let's keep going. First two verses. And the word, of the, Lord came, uh, uh, the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. So he says, I'm jealous with great jealousy. I'm jealous with great wrath. And, and so that can sound a little bit negative if you hear jealousy and wrath. Those in our, in our day today um, uh, has a negative connotations for sure. And, and I think the key word though, as you look at this, is he says, I am jealous for her. I'm not angry at her. I'm jealous for her. Not because of her, but for her. I'm jealous for her. I, I'm, I'm kindled towards her. Not at her, but for her. And I'm wanting that relationship with her. You know, hey, listen. Do you know that God, if you're, if you're in Christ, you know that God is for you? Do you know that? That if you're a Christian, that God is for you. We sing, a call, we sing a song called uh, Who You Say I Am. And, and, and the song says, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Who the Son sets free will be free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. God loves you if you're in Christ Jesus. He is for you if you're in Christ Jesus. And, and in our text today, God shows this passionate concern for his people. He is passionately concerned for his people today. If you're in Christ, he is passionately concerned for you today. He is for you, Christian. He is not against you, Christian. He is for you. He calls you his own. Let's keep reading. Look in verse 3. Thus says the, Lord, says the Lord, I return to Zion and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountains. And so God says, hey, I've returned. I will dwell in your midst. You will be called the faithful city. And God's like, I'm back, baby. You know, I, I, I'm back and I'm, I'm with you now. I'm for you now. And this was called for great rejoicing in their time because God said, I'm going to dwell in your midst once again. I'm going to be right in the middle, right where, uh, where I want to be, number one, but where you want me to be. I'm going to be in your midst. You know, we've, we've experienced something kind of like that in the last few months. It really started with us and our student trip this summer. I mean, we just saw an outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, on that summer trip where many of you who are in this room became Christians. We've baptized a number of you students right here because the Holy Spirit stirred in your heart. 
And you, you move from death to life. You are now filled with the Spirit of God. And God has done a great work. And so that was kind of the genesis, the beginning of, of this thing that we've been fasting and praying for for a long time of a, as a movement of God. And, and so we saw people, uh, not only students, but other people awakened by the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, adults and their children over the past few months. We saw a brother and a sister become uh, back-to-back Christians within a week. And we got to baptize them back-to-back. Um, and we got another baptism scheduled at the end of this month. And so we're seeing the Holy Spirit actually move and, and, and shake us and, and awaken people to the good news of the gospel. And that's such a cool thing to, for people to know who he is and they recognize their need for a savior. It was glorious in Zechariah's day whenever God was moving. It's a glorious in our day whenever we see God is moving. Let's keep going. He says in verse 4 through 6, Thus says the Lord of hosts, O men and old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with his staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is... Excuse me. If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. And so by God saying there's going to be old men and old women, I believe he's saying, look, I know the last 70 years have been very, very difficult on you as a people. And probably the truth be known, older men and older women probably didn't survive a lot of that difficult times in exile. That, that's more than likely the case. And I believe that's why he was saying what it is. You haven't seen this, but now as, as, as my people that are gathered here, you're going to begin to see older men and older women be in your midst and be in the streets. And he's like, this is a good thing. He said, you're actually going to see, uh, you're actually going to see younger people uh, that, that are uh, uh, making their way. Boys and girls will fill the streets. Children will be born. Uh, again, alluding to peace that's going to come rather than the turmoil that they had been in all these days. He said, again, this is going to be glorious for you and it's glorious for me. And God goes on with good news in verse eight. Look what he says. Um, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Man, what a good thing it is to be part of a child of the living God. And it's just a good thing. And so the question again that I'll ask you, that you have to be examining yourself to answer today, are you a child of God? Have you been born again into the family of God? Have you repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus? That's how you become part of the family of God. Many of us in here knows that it's a good thing to be part of the family of God. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about having your name on some church roll somewhere. I'm not talking about how often you come to gathering. I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you working in the nursery. I'm not talking about you singing in the band. I'm not talking about you being on staff here. But what I am talking about is knowing that you know, that you know, that you know without beyond a shadow of a doubt that you belong to Jesus. That there's a time in your life when you have recognized that you're a sinner and you have turned from your sin and repented of your sin to a holy and righteous God. I recognize I'm sinning against you and I want to repent. I want to turn from my sin and I want to put my faith in the finished work of Jesus. That Jesus lived the sinless life that you can't live, that God requires. 
that he died on a cross and shed his blood to cover your sin debt because the Bible says that the blood of bulls and goats does not remove our sin. Only the precious blood of Jesus covers our sin debt. That he was buried, that he was raised back to life three days later, and he is ever inter interceding on your behalf. Are you trusting in that Jesus? Have you, has there been a time in your life whenever you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Friend, do you know? You can know today. Let's keep going. Verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present in the day of the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid that the temple might be built. For there, for before uh, those days, there was no wage or man or any wage for beast. There was any, uh, there was, uh, neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out and came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of the people as in former days declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit. The ground shall give its produce and the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause this remnant of the people to possess all these things. And uh, as you have been uh, a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. He says, listen, Zechariah, you tell the people, um, let your hands finish the work that you've been called to do. Though they didn't have any resources, they didn't have, it says no wages, nobody had any wages, so they had no resources at the time. Um, they had opposition. He said, uh, he said, God said every man against his neighbor. And so there were people that, who were opposed to them, even in the midst of their coming back and, and being restored and trying to build the temple, temple, that there would be people that were against them. God told them in verse 13, he said, let your hands be strong, stay the course, keep doing the work that I have given you. And so God had allowed this time of difficulty to be part, uh, to be really cast upon his people, but that would not last. Though they had come out of diversity, their present state was lowly, and they were just trying to get by. They were trying to just make it along the way. But God said, I want you to trust in my provision for the blessing that I have promised you. Though your circumstances may seem something that is impossible for this to happen, I want you to trust in my blessing and in my telling you that this is going to happen. And he said, if you'll just diligently put your hand to this, then this is what is going to come to pass. Now, to me, that sounds like gospel transformation. See, following Jesus is not this easy road. Too many preachers today preach this message of health and wealth and prosperity, and I've listed off a number of them before, and, uh, and, and you probably know who they are anyway. And I've told you before, don't be listening to those cats. Just don't be listening to them because they're charlatans. But the message of the gospel is sometimes one of division. The message of the gospel is sometimes one of danger. The message of the gospel is a message of salvation and eternal security. That once you become part of the family of God, nobody can snatch you out of the hand of the Lord. You can't lose your salvation if you truly become a follower of Jesus. You can't lose it. The Bible encourages us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. 
So Christian, you have been called, listen, you have been called to be a disciple of Jesus. You have been called to know him and the power of his resurrection. Not to just go through the motions, but to know him, the power of his resurrection. To be an ambassador for the king. We ask you every week at the end of a service, what are you? And you all reply what? Missionaries. You say that every week. My fear is that that's just become one of those rote things that get said every week and you just respond because you know that's what you're supposed to say and few of you are probably living that way. That's my concern. If we're going to say it, then Lord, let it be. To endure, to, we're called to endure until the end. Times are, times are going to be tougher for us as Christians. There's more opposition that's coming. It's still relatively easy here in the United States to be a follower of Jesus. But I'm telling you, there's pockets here and there that just make it a little more difficult. Difficult times will always be for us. We're called to go with the message of the gospel that Jesus is the one who rescues people from their sins, forgives people of their sins, and gives and grants people eternal life by his own grace. Let's keep reading and see what he says. This is, we're almost getting to the end of this chapter, but he keeps good, with good stuff. For thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 14, as I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So he's like, hey, your fathers made me really angry, very angry, very angry indeed. Um, uh, <laughs> um, Verse 15, so again, have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and the house of Judah. Fear not. So he's like, I was very angry, but now I've relented and, I'm, and I, this was really bad over here, but now it's about to be really good. Really good. Fear not, he says. These are the things, these are the things that you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all of these things I hate, declares the Lord. And so he said, look, I, again, I was against you at one point, but now I am for you. And then he says, I'm calling you to live differently. Does that sound familiar? We say that here all the time. Live differently. Christians are called to live differently. And he says, I, I want your lives to look like this. Speak the truth to one another. Okay? Let, let truth come out of your mouth. If you, if you ask me a question and I give you an answer, you should expect it to be the truth. You know what? If I ask you a question and you answer to me, you know what I expect? I expect the truth. Especially if you're a follower of Jesus. He says, speak the truth to one another. Make peace with one another. Mm. You who are harboring that thing in your heart against someone... He says, make, make peace with one another. If you need to go to somebody today, I encourage you to go today. Don't let any dust fall under your feet. Go on today and make peace with whoever it is that you need to make peace with. That's what he calls follow, his followers to do. That's what he calls us to do. Make peace with one another. Don't cheat one another. Don't devise evil toward one another. And do not love what is false because the Lord hates all these things. For time's sake, I'm not going to repeat them, but I think you get the point. All right, look in with me in verse 18 and 19. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me again, saying, the Lord just keeps coming to Zechariah, telling him things. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness, cheerful feasts, therefore love, truth, and um, peace. And so he said, the Lord says, I'm going to turn your fasting into feasting. Where you have fasted for particular reasons in the past, I'm going to turn that fasting into feasting. Now, Refuge, we love feasting. And all God's people said, amen. amen. We love a good meal together. I love to share a meal around the table with you. I would love for you to invite me to your house and make me a really good meal. And I would come and sit at your table and we would feast together. All God's people said, amen. amen. Yeah, okay, good. I know who you are. Uh, I love to feast with people. That's part of what it means to be followers of Jesus is that we feast together. I encourage my gospel community, and I'm going to expose you, GC Genesis, because I, we're not meeting tonight for, uh, uh, for different reasons. And I challenged the people in my gospel community group. I said, you know what? Instead of us meeting tonight, I want you to find somebody and share a meal with them. Share a meal with them. Maybe it's somebody in our gospel community. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's somebody you've been praying for for a long time. But have a meal with them. Feast with them. Feasting is part of celebrating around the table, is part of celebrating the goodness and the provision of the Lord. And so maybe it gives you an opportunity to share just some conversations with people that you might not have had before. Conversations happen many times around the table. Verses 20 through 22. Thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples uh, shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. And he said, Look, not many people are going to want to come to this broken down city, but now that the Lord is restoring this broken down city, people will desire to be with them. That's what he says in that. Now, and so I likened it to Refuge Church. Not many people want to come to this broken down building. It's sketch. I mean, at best. <laughs> you can say amen to that too. Because, I mean, it's, it's in a sketchy neighborhood. Uh, there's all kind of things on the ground that we find during the week. Uh, there's people that sleep in that, used to sleep in that glass enclosure and we had to throw that carpet away and just lots of things that going around this place is just sketchy. It's true. I'm just saying what y'all all think when you drive up. I mean, the first time you drove up, I'm sure you considered driving off. And so I, I get it. I fully understand that. Um, but we say this structure is only brick and mortar. The church is here. You're the church. You're the people of God. You are the people that the Spirit lives with inside, inside of them. You are who refuge is. This is not refuge. You're refuge. You're the church. You're the people that God speaks his, his message to. You're the people that God calls to be missionaries. You're the people that God calls to live and follow him. Not a building, not a place. God doesn't reside in the temple anymore. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. If we're Christians, he resides within us. And he resides within us and we live differently so that other people may be drawn to the spirit that is, lives within inside us and the Jesus that we may tell them about. God's people is not a place. 
God's people are people. And lastly, let me read the last verse. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In the days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. And how cool is that? He said, we want to go with you. People were coming to them. It's what the, the Lord said through Zechariah. He said, in those days, people are going to come and say, I want to be where you are because God is with you. I want to go hang out with you. I want to roll with you this weekend because God is with you. And I see that God is with you. And that's the real point of this message. And I'm finally going to be closed. See, God came after Israel. Despite their rebellion, which we saw in chapter 7. Despite their times that, that they were against him. Despite their times they were living for their own selves. God came after them even in their rebellion. And he came after them and he delivered them. We just saw that. And as I was studying this, I thought chapter 7 and 8 remind me of Ephesians chapter 2. Like in the very beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, this is what it says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins and the way you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, even though these were the people of God, God's God's, God's anger was kindled against them, okay? So it's not exactly apples to apples. But it reminded me of this because in chapter 7 we saw God's anger kindled toward his people because of the way that they were responding to him. And then it switches in chapter 8 and he's like, but man, I'm with you now and I'm going to deliver you and I'm going to set you up for, for good and people are going to start to come. And, and so just like in Ephesians chapter 2, we get to verse 4, but God, that's the great but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together uh, with Christ. By grace you've been saved and it goes on from there. And, and, and so it, here, here's what I'll say and I'll close. If God is with us in Jesus, we should be a changed people. Just like we saw happen in Zechariah. Those people were changed and they were different. And people were beginning to be drawn to them. We should be changed people. If God is with us in Jesus, should we not be a people that love others? If God is with us in Jesus, would we not be a people that share this life-changing message of the gospel with others? If God is with us in Jesus, let us be the people that make much of Jesus in all that we do. Let it be said of us, like Zechariah said, that people will say, let us go with you. Let us be around you. Let us, let us hang out with you because we have heard that God is with you. How do we become that people? Repentance, faith, trust in the Lord, living in community, inviting people into our community, learning, being a disciple of Jesus so that the Lord may say this, they shall be my people and I'll be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Let me pray for us and we'll continue to worship. God, we love you. We need you. Um, what a glorious...